Uh, do take your seats. Um, and if you grab hold of a, a Bible again and turn back to 1 Thessalonians on page 1186, uh, we're going to look um, at this first chapter. Uh, there's a little handout as well with diagrams and everything on it, if that's helpful for you, um, just to know where we are uh, in, in the sermon tonight, please do pick that up. Uh, there are certain sounds that are uh, distinctive of a British summer. Uh, I guess the sound of hilarity among uh, GCSE and A-level students and university students enjoying a bit of post-exam fun. The exams are done. You can't do anything else about them now. Enjoy the summer. Uh, there'll be the sound of mallet on ball on croquet lawns the country over. Uh, we'll soon be hearing the sound of leather on willow as the ashes begin, accompanied no doubt by the sound of Andrew Rees, our very own Andrew Rees, explaining yet again the superiority of Australian sport generally and cricket specifically. Of course, very recently, and well done for making it out, out tonight, very recently, the main sound is the sound of cat gut on rubber ball. I know it's not cat gut anymore, but strawberries and cream, McEnroe and Barker, Federer and almost Andy Murray uh, this year. Do you want to know the result if you've not heard it? It's all right, it's not spoiling anything for highlights. Federer won uh, 16-14 in the final set. Uh, but the sound of Wimbledon always makes the country stop and listen, uh, doesn't it? You almost feel at uh, those tense moments in matches, uh, the crowd don't even want to breathe just in case they miss something. Some sounds are and should be arresting. They deserve to be loud enough and clear enough so that people can hear them properly. And over these couple of weeks in the morning and the evening, we're, we're thinking about another sound that we want to be distinctive, uh, that we want to be loud enough to be heard, not just over the summer, but throughout the whole year. Uh, it's the sound of Christians uh, talking about what it means to be a Christian. As, as a church, you know when we're kind of reminding us all together that we're in the middle of something we've called 1 plus 1 equals 2,000. The idea that if there are about a thousand people who come to Fullwoods and everyone, God willing, were to introduce one other person to Christianity, there would be two thousand of us here. And the Bible says the normal way that happens is as Christians share the message about Jesus, the gospel, with other people. In other words, they make some noise. Last week in the evening service we thought about being a Christian, explaining why it's good news. And this week we're thinking about explaining the difference it makes to you. And the difference should make some sound. You know how it works. Murray hits a winner. The racket sings sweetly in the crowd sheet with delight. England win the ashes and boom, Andrew Reese will make some sounds. He'll stand here and congratulate you. I'm sure he will anyway. People become Christians and well, you see verse 8 from the passage we read. Now Paul writes this to them. The Lord's message rang out from you. You started making a racket. You started making some noise. People heard the sound. Sound accompanied these Christians. The word that's translated rang out seems to carry the idea of something like a thunderclap or the shout of a crowd or a sound that runs everywhere seems to convey the idea of volume and speed. It's good to know, I think, especially if you're younger, I imagine, that the Bible doesn't seem to think being quiet is always a virtue. And talking can be good. Making noise can be good. Filling an entire area with sound can be
can be good. It all depends on the sound you're making. And that's the sound we're thinking about tonight. About what I guess Christians sometimes call giving your testimony. If you've not heard that before, what, what they mean by it is usually, well, not so much when somebody asks, what is a Christian, and you answer that. No, it's normally when someone asks something more like, why are you a Christian? Or, what does it mean for you to be a Christian? It's not just an objective question looking for the facts of the matter. It's, it's more of a subjective question looking for your experience of the facts. Now, the facts are still important, but it's, it's their impact on you personally that's the interest that gets people listening. Or in other words, uh, they want to see the facts lived out. It's like when you go round to dinner and someone brings out a chocolate cake they've made. You might want to know how it was made. But what really interests you is what it tastes like. Now, does that seem like an odd thing that, that your experiences should be the very thing that gets people interested in God? Is that making a little bit too much of you? Making you the focus of attention rather than God. It's a good question to consider, given our tendency towards pride and self-obsession. As a friend of mine sometimes jokes, there are certain people who, after you have a conversation with them, you feel you could summarise what they've said like this. Uh, well, that's enough about me. Uh, what about you? What do you think of me? Do you know people like that? But keeping that problem in mind, it's interesting to note that even in the Old Testament, uh, this seems to be God's uh, way of working. See, back in Deuteronomy, don't look back to it now, but we, we heard in our first reading tonight, speaking to God's people, Moses said, observe God's commands carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. See, God's people living, trusting God, and as others see it and hear it, they say, there's a good sound coming from them. Let's find out about it. Or as Paul puts it, the Lord's message rang out from you. And we sometimes do it formally in church. You've probably seen people up at the front being interviewed, and we, we ask them various questions about becoming a Christian or about what it means to live as a Christian. And it's good to do that. It's great when we do it. As, as long as you don't think... Well, that's the main way someone gives their testimony. As long as you don't think, I need to be interviewed at the front of church before the Lord's message could ever begin to ring out from me and my friends. Now, that sort of setting uh, doesn't seem to be in Paul's mind at all. See, I think in our reading, he's, he's just commending the way ordinary Christians have been speaking about the gospel. The way ordinary Christians have been making that kind of sound. So I guess a question you want to think about is, is when was the last time, when was the last time uh, you took the opportunity to explain to someone what being a Christian means to you? When was the last time you were able to do that? That was the first letter heading on our handout is, is how to be a sound Christian. A Christian who makes the right kind of sound. Uh, there's a fine line between uh, being fussy and having standards, isn't there? 
a fine line between being fussy and wanting to be helpfully accurate. I think some of the problems and and arguments we, we have in church could probably be sorted out if we accepted. At times we're just a bit fussy. Uh, but we act as if it's standards. I perish the thought that there could be snobby people in Fullwood. Just a little bit too fussy. But I, I got a glimpse of it uh, in some of my colleagues on, on Monday evening. We had a meeting at Paul's at the Vicarage that finished about 10 o'clock. Murray's epic match was, was still on. That's when he was still British, of course. Uh, Murray's epic match was still on, so we watched the end. Uh, someone who was there said, Oh, Murray's losing this game 40 nil." I could feel those who played tennis bristle ever so slightly. And then one of them said, it's not 40 nil, it's 40 love. And they could probably give you the history for why zero points in tennis is love. It comes from the French for egg, I think, love. Anyway, they could go on about that. The thing is, when you know something really well, when you hear someone say it wrong, it just bothers you, doesn't it? And you say, no, that's not quite right. Can I just explain to you why that detail is important? Sometimes it's just being fussy, but not always. Sometimes standards are important. Sometimes if we're not actually accurate, it leads to our thinking getting confused. And when it comes to giving your testimony, I've sometimes heard people worrying and saying things like, well, I wish I had a better testimony. And when I've asked them what they mean, they've said something like, well, it's just, I was never really into drugs, and I've not struggled with depression, and I've never been in a gang. I mean, I once wore muddy wellies into the house when my mum told me not to, but that doesn't really make for a good testimony. See, what's going on there? See, the thinking behind that is your testimony is all about explaining how bad you were and how bad your life was and how good it's become now. Or I've met other people, often Christians, who've, who've grown up in Christian homes who say, well, I just don't really have a testimony. And when I ask them what they mean, they say something like, well, I think I became a Christian when I was really young. I can't remember a time when I wasn't a Christian, so it's hard for me to give my testimony. See, what's going on there? Well, it seems that their thinking is giving your testimony is all about a date and a decision. A moment in time when you decided to become a Christian, and unless you articulate that, you've not got a testimony. I don't want you to think I'm being fussy. I'm just after a bit of accuracy, but only to encourage you and keep your thinking straight. But that's not really what a testimony is. See, you might incorporate some of those things, but you might not. See, look, come back to verse 8 and... And see what Paul says to these Christians that he's writing to in Thessalonica. He says this, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your your faith in God has become known everywhere. I often think in in visual ways. I I like little diagrams, so I'll put one on the handout for you. It it might help uh, to see what Paul has in mind. It's how I think about it anyway. But he talks about the Lord's message, the gospel. And he talks about your faith, the Thessalonians' faith. And he, he says, you, your faith has become known. And news of the Thessalonian faith has, has kind of spread everywhere, went in all sorts of directions. Arrows going off everywhere. And he also says, the Lord's message goes all over the place too. But it seems louder, doesn't it, the way he describes it. He, he says, it rang out, the Lord's message. The Lord's message was 
the real sound. It didn't just become known. It rang out. And I think as soon as you start to see that, you begin to understand what their testimony was. They weren't talking about themselves in any kind of general sense. This wasn't self-obsessed preoccupation with my life and how good it's become because I go to church. Now, these people were, were talking about their faith in God. Now, they weren't just living good lives. They were explaining how the gospel shaped their lives, how the Lord's message shaped their lives. Or, if you want to put it another way, they, they were talking about who they trusted and the difference it made. And as they did that, people went away with the Lord's message beginning to ring in their ears. C.S. Lewis, uh, writing on a different subject, says something I think illustrates this. He's, he's talking about pleasures in life and how we respond to God for them. And, and he writes this, Pleasures are all shafts of glory as they strike our sensibility. I bet someone will ask, but aren't there bad, unlawful pleasures? Well, certainly there are, but in calling them bad pleasures, I take it we're using a kind of shorthand. Uh, We mean pleasures snatched by unlawful acts. It is the stealing of the apple that is bad, not the sweetness. The sweetness is still a beam from the glory. I've tried since to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks, but I meant something different. A gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must the quality of that being whose far-off and momentary actions are like this, who makes things like this? A one's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun itself. And you think about that with reference to giving your testimony. When the good news of the gospel strikes deeply into your life, like a sunbeam of grace and love, it is right as we talk about it, people will hear how grateful we are for all that it means to us. But we want more than that. See, we want the minds of the people who are listening to us to run back up that sunbeam so that in some measure they see the one from who it comes. So that as you give your testimony, the sound that is eventually heard is the Lord's message ringing out from you. See, you don't need to remember an exact date when you became a Christian in order to do that. You don't need to have experienced a life of shocking evil in order to do that. You only need to remember just even one experience of how the Lord Jesus, who in his grace died for you and rose again to guarantee your eternal life, has impacted your life. And talk about that. You start to think like that and you'll be on your way to being a sound Christian. Oh, let's leave that for a moment. Just think about the second thing that's uh, on your handout, and that's this. Uh, what should our testimony sound like? Uh, we want to think like sound Christians, but what should our testimony sound like? I, I know what some of you are thinking. C.S. Lewis is, is brilliant, but he's a little bit artsy for me. All this talk about sunbeams is not really me, is it? I don't really talk about sunbeams, and and neither do my friends. I start talking like that to them. They just look at me as if I'm weird. Well, well, okay, we're all different. I think C.S. Lewis is great, but we don't all talk like that. We don't all click with it, do we? And neither do all of our friends. 
However we speak to people, we want to make sure we've communicated, don't we? We want to make sure we've communicated something that's good and true and something that's clear. And you can always tell if you have uh, communicated clearly and in a way that's good by, uh, by getting people to report back uh, what they've heard from you, see if they've understood it. So, for example, if I said to you, all right, Hen, I see the wee man that's been leading the service. He thinks he's pure gallus, but, and he's been gaining it loudy, but his bum's at the windy, and more than that, he's got a face like a melted welly, and he's just a wee scunner. Now, I can assure you, there are certain places in Glasgow where if you said that, people would say, really? I didn't think Joe was like that at all. But if after our service you reported what I said, I have a feeling there might be some confusion about it. And some of you wouldn't be very clear about that. Now, we want to ask from our passage, have the Thessalonians been clear Have they been clear as they've spoken about their faith in God? And Paul says they have. And you know that from what other people are saying about them. As you look at the end of verse 8 again, here's what Paul says to them. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about your faith. That's what he's talking about. For they themselves give a report. Other people are reporting what you're saying. Paul seems to think it's clear, and he he goes through that. People are talking about what they've heard from the Thessalonians, how they live accompanied with an explanation, and it's it's caused the Lord's message to to ring out. Here's the report, three things. Paul says they, they report what kind of reception you gave us. And the reception's mentioned up in verse 7. He says this about them. You welcomed the message, God's word, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. They report what kind of reception you gave us. Secondly, they, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And thirdly, this is what they're saying about them. They're waiting, they're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now that's what people have heard as these Thessalonians have shared their testimony, shared their faith in God. And you listen to those three things and, and you begin to hear how their testimony sounded. And they were talking about themselves. But it's just like we said a few minutes ago, they were also talking about God, weren't they? Did you notice that? They joyfully welcomed God's word. They turned to God to serve God. They're waiting for God, Jesus, to come back. And at the heart of their testimony was Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And that death was in order to rescue them from God's judgment. It's a summarized version, isn't it? But it's all there. So as you talk to your friends and keep these things in mind, see, how should your testimony sound? How should it sound as you speak to people? Well, it should sound like, well, first of all, you found joy through God's word. You found joy through God's word. Secondly, you found freedom in God's service. And thirdly, you've you found security in the face of death and more through Jesus Christ. 
Well, just as we draw to a close tonight, let, let me try and work through some of those and, and think about how we might speak about them. You, you found joy through God's word. Can I say, I know there's a possibility for some Christians to come across as just a little bit, I guess we could say bonkers. You sometimes listen to them, Christians, and you think, oh, why, why are you talking like that? It just comes across weird. The way they use the Bible always ends up sounding cringy. But I wonder if your friends who know you're a Christian... Have ever heard you explain why you think the Bible is good news? And so if maybe you're in the youth here and you come to Sunday AM and one of your friends says to you, what, what are you doing on Sunday? And you tell them, maybe for the first time, well, I'm going to church. And they say something like, what? Are you, are you one of those boring Bible bashers? You ever said something like, you know, I used to think like that about the Bible. I, I used to think it was boring, and sometimes a youth worker can be. He's, he's great. I used to think like that about the Bible, but then I started reading it, and I found something quite different. I just found that the way the Bible talks about God and people makes a lot of sense. And I tell you more than that. As I've started to understand it, I think God's really beginning to change me in a good way. Now, that's only the start of a conversation, isn't it? But it's actually the start of sharing your testimony. Your friends are starting to hear you think God's word, the Bible, is good. And hearing what it says brings you joy. And as you started to say something about yourself, you've actually started to tell your friends something about God as well. God is a speaking God. And when he speaks to you, he can bring joy. And ever so faintly, the Lord's message begins to ring out as you speak to your friends and share your testimony. And what about this one? Uh, You found freedom in God's service. Uh, You see as you read through this, you see what the gospel assumes. It, It assumes everyone is living for and serving something. Either you serve the true and living God or you you set up an idol in its place. As something else to which you give your ultimate allegiance. Something else where you think, no, that's the best thing in life. That's what I'm going to live for. And we know the kind of things people live for. It could be a whole host of things, money, sex, family, loads of other things as well. I imagine for many people, it's their career and the status that it affords them. So it might be for some of you that you can imagine a situation where you were encouraged to go for a promotion at work. And it's one of those situations where it's the promotion that no one wants. It's a lot of extra work for little extra status or pay. And everyone knows that uh, your boss is just trying to manipulate you into taking it just because it would help them out. But as you talk it through with your family, you decide that actually, even though it's a bit of an aft job, you could have a real influence for good as a Christian if you took that job. And even if no one appreciates it, you could be a real service to other people. And so you take the promotion. And that night, talking it over with a colleague over a pint, he says to you, what were you doing? And you begin to tell them, look, I'm not daft. I know what the job's like, uh, but you know I'm a Christian. Uh, So before I said no to the job, I started to think about what God would want me to do. And as I thought it through with my family, I saw in this slightly naff job a way I could serve God. And that's really important to me now. And I know it might sound stupid to you, but since I've become a Christian, it's changed the way I'm thinking. 
And actually, promotion or, or no promotion, that, that doesn't really bother me as much anymore. I don't get as wound up about those sorts of things. And I think it's actually because I'm a Christian. It probably sounds weird, but living with God in charge of my life, I actually start to feel like I'm free. Look, conversations are easy, aren't they, when you're writing both sides of it. I know that. I know it doesn't quite work out as straightforward like this. I know at the end of every conversation, people don't just become Christians, but we're surrounded by opportunities every day to share our testimony. And I think I, for one, miss them. And so the Lord's message rings quieter than it should. And here's the third one. You found security in the face of death and more through Jesus Christ. See, Paul gives at the end of this little section a great summary of the gospel. Jesus, the one who died and rose again, who rescues us from God's right judgment. And it's interesting as you read all of this, uh, Paul's described being a Christian as something that's very active. He talks about it in a very active way. He's described being a Christian as something well, where, where we welcome something, where we turn to something, where we serve someone. But here right at the end it's waiting. Uh, waiting for Jesus. I was just thinking about that this week and thinking about my own life. When, when life is difficult at times, it, it's easy to get in a flap, isn't it? It's easy to get flustered, start rushing around doing all sorts of things. When you've been treated badly, it's easy to respond badly very quickly, isn't it? Well, you've got to defend yourself. But I don't know if you've noticed, there is a real dignity shown in people who can wait patiently because they're secure. There's a real dignity shown in people who don't get in a flap because they know they're really secure. So I know some of you here have already lost jobs. And it is very likely, isn't it, that in the current economic climate, quite a few more of us will. And in those situations, it's easy to get in a flap it's easy to start panicking and worrying about money. It's easy to start being or just narky with other people. But I've already seen in our church family Christian friends conduct themselves in those situations with an impressive patient dignity. Of course there have been worries. Of course there's been looking for new jobs. That's, that's the right thing to be doing. But there's also been a security that comes from knowing what you're waiting for is not ultimately the perfect job. But the Saviour, who has promised to get you through death and much more, God's judgment. And if he can keep you safe then, well, he can keep you safe now. So when friends are asking, why do you seem to be at peace, even when things are so difficult for you? You'll probably want to say, you know, sometimes I do get really stressed. But if I do seem secure at times, it's because I'm a Christian. Uh, this life is never going to be perfect, but I know one day Jesus is going to come back, and when he does, everything will be good. And that gives me real confidence now when things are bad. And as we start to speak like that, we want to pray that the Lord's message about his Son who saves us will ring out louder and louder in Fullwood and across our city. Let's pray that that would happen. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for just these few words and for the encouragement of a church that was much, much smaller than ours. And much smaller, but having an impact over a whole geographic area because they spoke about their faith in the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you help us as a church family to do that? Would you help us to recognize the opportunities, not just at the front of church, but talking with family and friends and work colleagues where we can share something about who we believe in and why so that the message of the Lord Jesus will ring out. And we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.